Star Learner. And I'm Dave Price, and this is the Teachers Unify podcast. On the first of a three-part episode, we're going to hear Jeff Foster's story about being a teacher at MSD on 214, his influence on the students who formed March for Our Lives, his hopes for gun reform, and his book, For Which We Stand. My name is Jeff Foster. I am a native Floridian who grew up in South Florida. I went to high school in South Florida, had a pretty uh, uneventful high school career. I mean, I did, you know, played sports, so I got with my friends, did some, you know, engaged in some debauchery like everybody else. I uh, went on to Florida State University in Tallahassee, studied marketing and finance, and did not enjoy that field when I graduated at 21. So I decided to follow my mother's footsteps and become a high school teacher. And uh, after subbing for about a year and a half and trying to determine what subject I wanted to teach, I became social studies certified and got a job at Coral Springs High School along with my mother in 1998. I was fortunate enough in 1999 to be offered a job at Stoneman Douglas High School, where I've been ever since. And I've been teaching uh, AP, American Government and Politics, for the last uh, two decades now. And, uh, you know, enjoy following politics. And uh, unfortunately, with what happened at our school in, in 2018, kind of got thrust into, uh, you know, the, the political sphere, basically, where I was helping you know, kids organize and, uh, you know, we marched, we went to Tallahassee, Florida, the state capital. We went to Washington, D.C. to try to, you know, change gun laws around this country. And um, ever since then, I mean, the whole time I've been trying to inspire young people to participate, to vote, to understand their rights, to understand how they can change government. Um, and, you know, again, that, that event sort of allowed it to, my, my voice to be amplified a little bit more and uh, Scholastic approached me and had me write a book called For Which It Stands, uh, What Is the Government, Why It Matters. That's actually not the name of the book. I had a script the name of my own book. I apologize for that. I'll have to go back and cut that at some point. Um, what is government and why it matters. And, um, you know, again, since then, all I've been doing is trying to inspire one senior class after another and really any other kid that I come in contact with just to understand their role in the world and their, their role in local, state, national politics. Um, I also sit on the board for Ban Assault Weapons Now, which is a, a push in Florida to try to ban assault weapons. We were really close to getting it on the ballot as a ballot initiative two years ago. Unfortunately, we failed uh, in the Florida Supreme Court, and we're going to try it again this year, and hopefully we'll be, we'll be successful in getting it on the ballot in November. So, again, I, you know, I, I love my job. I love uh, everything about teaching. I love the relationships with the kids. I love the relationships with my colleagues, but I really enjoy just being able to try to inspire young kids to understand their role in the world and, and be active citizens. So I want to thank Jeff Foster for joining us on this episode. Jeff is one of my super friends at school who I love very much, who I've also told is not allowed to retire until he's had both hmm. of my children. So I'm holding him to that, even if he has other plans. Um, and I'm, we'll get I'm still into... playing the lottery, so you're going to be okay. Good. Don't leave yeah. me, Jeff. Yeah. So we're going to cover a lot of things, but I want to start with your experience from February 14th, as much as you're comfortable sharing. And we've had other teachers on from MSD, and it's so interesting that we all went through the same event, but our experiences from that day are so dramatically different. So 
if you don't mind, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, you know, the floor is yours. I don't mind it. I can't, uh, I, I agree with you so much. I've talked to so many different people, you know, who, whether I was, I was with them that day or whether I, you know, circle back to them days, weeks later. And it is insane how little you know about where people were and what they did uh, that day and the, and the subsequent hours after, you know, until, you know, yeah, until the absolutely. hours of the morning for sure. And, uh, you know, like, I guess like everybody else, the, 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 the similarities we have is that morning we had the fire drill um, in first or second hour. And we'd been told, you know, for, for weeks, if not months from the beginning of the year, when we were, we were prepping for everything that there was going to be, more drills, more real drills. Um, you know, whether it was said or not said, I mean, I, I feel like I heard it. My friends have, have, have repeated it that at one point they said we might even had live drills with like fake ammunition to really like yes, show. That is what they told us. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, so fast forward to the last hour of the day and the alarm goes off again. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in building three, which doesn't mean anything to the people in the air here, but I, I was pretty far away from where the actual gun part where that were, where, you know, Nicholas Cruz was that day. Um, and the alarm goes off. So we're, I was in a small hallway with two other classes. So the three of us all kind of pop our heads out and we look at each other and we're like, it was, you know, 25 minutes to the bell, 20 minutes to the bell. And we said, let's, you know, let's have the kids bring our stuff. I mean, it's got to be a real fire drill because it doesn't make sense for them to do two. But then we all kind of said collectively, like, maybe this is one of those, you know, fake drills they're going to do because, you know, they're trying to surprise us because we had one this morning. So we we got all the kids out of our classrooms. We went down the staircase. We're on the second floor. And when we reached the bottom of the stairs, we were close enough to where my my neighbor, Mr. Marino, thought that he heard gunshots. Now, whether he did or not, I mean, we can't, you know, I mean, obviously it's easier and, and, you know, after the fact to say, oh, we heard something, but he claims he did. There's no reason not to trust him. I didn't hear anything, but if he said he heard it, he's younger than me. Maybe he heard it. I didn't hear it. Um, but at the same time, we, we thought that, again, maybe this was just the, you know, the fake, the fake bullets, you know, the, the, the fake rounds they were going to fire. So no one at, at that moment, maybe two minutes after the alarm went off, we were, we were moving crisply like we always were to the spot we were supposed to go, but we weren't concerned, we'll say, at that point. Um, then Mike, that's Mr. Marino, says he heard something else. So now we started to think like, okay, whether it was real or fake, we should probably you know make sure these kids are moving a little bit quicker because, again, most of the kids weren't that enthused about moving outside either because it was the second one of the day. So we pushed out into an open field, went down the side of the school, and at this point, we're, you know, we're, we're – a long way away from where, where the actual shooting was taking place. Um, but we were definitely hurrying the kids and there was one girl that was there that was on crutches. So Mr. Marino and I went back to kind of say, Hey, let's, let's speed up. You need to, he, Mr. Marino literally said, you need me to carry you. And she goes, no, I'll be okay. So she, we kind of followed her. And at this point we sort of joined the other, I don't know, anywhere from 15 to 20 teachers that were going to the same exit point, as us, a lot of my colleagues in social studies are on that side of the of the campus. As as I'm sure most people that that have seen our school through videos after after the event know, our school is basically like a sprawling small college campus. I mean, it's it's enormous. Um, so we were all over there, and again, myself and Mr. Marino and Mr. Turner, the, the third guy that's in my hallway, we sort of you know we're doing the you know the the man thing and standing behind and making sure everybody else was getting through, sort of. And we're still at this point unaware of what's going on 
on the campus. We're, we're, we're well away from the campus. I mean, we were, again, it's hard to really show you the geography at this point, obviously, but we were a pretty good way away from where, you know, for lack of a better word, the action was happening, the, the, hor the horror was happening. And we were kind of being pushed down this, this between a fence and a canal walking parallel to our baseball field towards the middle school that's located behind our, our, our campus. And then our phones started to ring. And for me personally, it was almost like we were in a movie and it seemed like everybody reached for their phone at the same time and like picked it up. And for me, it was my little brother, little being relative. He's, he's 46 now. So he was 43, 44 at the time, 42, 43 at the time. And he's like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? He's like, there's been a shooting at your school. And so, you know, the, the news reports were starting to filter out, obviously. And I, I mean, it was, it was truly the, 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 the seminal moment of the day where, I mean, everybody literally in that area felt like found out at the same exact second that it was really happening. And the kids all were on their phones. The teachers were mostly on their phones. Cause I'm sure, you know, obviously the second you heard, you want to call your loved ones and everything changed in an instant. The kids started panicking. Um, we were, we were at that point where we were being led out of a sort of like a single file line, we'll call it. But again, there was a canal on our left and a fence on our right. So there's really nowhere to go other than this little wooded area. And believe it or not, there was, there was just this small opening and we were literally going through like one at a time. And we had hundreds of kids in front of us, including, you know, the 15, 20 teachers at that point, again, well away from the campus. But I mean, people are in panic mode now and there was literally nowhere to go. So kids started just climbing this fence and throwing their bags over. And at first when they were doing it, you know, two minutes previous to the phone calls, we were like, guys, just be patient, relax. But then the second the phone calls happened, we were literally helping kids like over the fence. We're like, go, 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 go. And then finally, after, you know, three, four, five minutes of this, then again, the three of us, myself, Mr. Turner and Mr. Marino, were like the last three to go through this little area. And we ended up popping out on the backside of the school, which was really perpendicular slash parallel to the building where it happened. So, I mean, we end up in front of the middle school and everybody started like migrating back to the school. We were almost like zombie-like. We started to like move towards the school. Meanwhile, there's police cars going 80 miles an hour down, the, down a two-lane road trying to get to the school from every possible precinct. You can imagine we saw Sunrise cops. We saw Plantation cops. We saw Coral Springs cops. I mean, cops were coming from, you know, 40, 50 miles away. Anybody that had a radio was basically reporting to the school. And our job then as teachers, again, not really understanding the breadth of what had happened at that point, we were literally pulling kids out of the road. Like, listen, this police officer is going to run you over. I know we want to go back and, and, you know, see what's going on, but... There's nothing we can do there. So we managed to you know, get most of the kids out of the way. And then it was mostly over the next, I'd say, half hour trying to figure out who was missing. You know, especially, you know, your own students. We all counted for our own kids at that point. Um, everybody was everywhere. So it's not like you were in a group at that point. People just went and sort of went left, went right, went wherever they could go. Um, but you were sort of looking after your colleagues. You're like, okay, who works in that building? Because by then we had an idea that the shooting took place and the building took place in the 1200 building and we were trying to figure out who was in that building and to give you a, a brief synopsis without going through every second of the day obviously um i would say a half dozen to 10 teachers slash administrators that i knew were pronounced dead by somebody over the next 
you know, 10 minutes. And it turned out there were only three adults that were killed. But, you know, if, if say I was in the building and I was missing, well, someone reported that Jeff Foster was dead. You know, I'm not going to mention all the names of the various teachers that were in that building. But at some point, whether it was directly to me from somebody or whether it's through a colleague or even a student that was around, it was teacher A is dead. Teacher B has been shot. Teacher C is on his way to the hospital. So we had no idea what was going on. Obviously, we couldn't get back to the school. My friend uh, at the time, uh, she was my, um, I guess she was my department head, Miss Davis, was missing her child who was in that building. And she couldn't get through her on the phone. So we were trying to tend to her. And thankfully, her daughter had left and gotten out. And that was so after, you know, that five, 10 minutes of just chaos in her brain, she was selling. So we're like, oh, let's move on to the next one. And I was with a friend of mine's wife whose husband was in that building. And again, we had heard rumors about him. So we were trying to sort of deal with her and try to make sure that she was okay. Um, and then I got the call that sort of changed everything for me. Um, my friend Ivy Seamus, who was unfortunately one of the teachers who had kids murdered in her classroom, reached out to me um, and got me on the phone and told me my friend Scott was dead, Scott Beagle, um, who I actually had brought to the school that year and and you know he worked with i worked with him at a summer camp for a bunch of years and he'd always been looking for a job at a good school and uh i arranged the interview and, and essentially you know was the reason why he had a job at our school and and ivy called me and she was i mean her she was almost inaudible and she said scott's dead scott's dead and i i couldn't process who scott was because you know even though i knew scott was at the school again as i mentioned before we have a big campus so i didn't see scott that often i would go see him you know, every couple of weeks to check in, see how he was doing. He was a first year teacher. I'd see him at, you know, our, our, our meetings, but you know, in a, in a day, you know, you just don't get out that much from your classroom. You know, we work, at least I do, I work every period of the day. So I don't, I, if you're not in my hallway, I'm not seeing you. Um, and so when Ivy said that to me, it really took me a couple seconds to figure out who she was talking about for a moment. And then it all kind of came crashing down. And I'm like, that, that can't be true. because I just stepped over his body. Um, so that sort of brought, you know, real quick the reality of what was going on at that moment. And then, like I said, over the next 15, 20 minutes outside, and it was, and, and, and what I remember just that day in general outside, that everything seemed like the lights got real bright then outside. It got real hot, and we were all just kind of baking out there together. Um, and, and I know that I kind of took the initiative and looked at all of my, my colleagues that were around me that, you know, I'm really close with. And I said, guys, we need to get out of here. We're not going home anytime soon we're not getting access to our cars anytime soon we need to get out of the sun we need to figure out what the hell's going on we need to have like a home base somewhere so we all sort of started aimlessly walking and i know where i was thinking i was going um but when i got to like you know we were probably half mile from the school i realized that this place i was thinking about where we were going was another like two miles away but i mean my, my bearings weren't with me and thankfully across the street there was like a wing place so we managed to cross the street. And I'm, I'll never forget, as I was crossing the street with one of my former students who was teaching at the school at the time, Ariel Hertz, um, she, a police officer stopped both of us and said, what are you guys going to do about these kids? And I looked at him and I said, they're not our kids. We're off campus. We're going to, you know, they're, they're fine. You know, we were literally a half mile from the school. The guy wanted us to like babysit kids on a mound. And I'm like, good luck, man. And we just like went and Ariel's like, I'm like, Ariel, it's, it's you know, they're they're going to be fine. There's police officers around. There's other adults around. 
it, it's not our job now to babysit these kids. We need to, you know, find some kind of safety and, and some kind of just, just sanity for a moment. So we managed to, to go in this restaurant bar and there was probably, if I remember early, six, seven, eight of us. And we, and we kind of set up almost, you know, um, like, I don't want to say a triage unit, but literally we were just fielding phone calls for people. And, and at that point, you know, I was on the phone with my wife. I was on the phone with Scott's fiance. Um, and at the time she wanted to know like what was going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure I, I know by now I had heard from Ivy, but there still wasn't, even though Ivy told me what she told me, nothing was confirmed yet in my brain, you know? So I didn't want to have to tell Gwen, his, his fiance that, you know, her, her fiance was dead basically. So she's like, have you seen him? Have you heard from him? Like, no, I called him and went right to voicemail. And then, you know, over the next literally three, four, five hours, all we did was sit there and people were coming in and out. And as I told you before, the, the amount of people that were presumed dead or presumed in the hospital or here or there, or whatever else, just kept changing. And then finally, the numbers started kind of popping up on CNN. I think the first report was like six, six injured, six dead, something like that. And, you know, and again, we were trying to, figure out what was what to fast forward a few hours. Um, eventually my wife made it down to the place we were at. She made it through the roadblock, said she had to come get her husband and some friends. And she picked us up probably eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock, somewhere in that re region and drove, you know, five or six of us home that night. Um, the one weird thing that most of us still had, we still had our little placards that said like foster, safe or shawl or safe or pain safe. we have these signs we carry out um you know to, to let kids know like here i am come stand next to me so we can say we're safe and the next day there were like four of those in, in my wife's minivan you know and then literally like two weeks later I, I was cleaning it out i found you know my buddy's sign i'm like oh i got your evacuate it was weird you know but that was one of the things i remember and, and that night you know after we got home my, my wife wouldn't let me watch tv which was probably best and I'm sure I collapsed pretty quickly. Um, next morning, woke up, went to breakfast pretty early with my family, who obviously all stayed home that day. And that's when I started seeing stuff on Facebook of the actual names and you know social media. And uh, Carmen Shentrup, who was in my class, passed away. Um, Alex Schachter, whose brother I had in class, passed away. Obviously, Scott I, at that point was declared dead. And um, Aaron Feist, who I knew as a student and as a colleague, obviously it passed away. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. And then you started hearing the different, you know, stories. I remember getting a call from, I believe the FBI and the local police the next day to sort of ask me where I was, what I did. Um, and the interesting thing in the aftermath, and this could be, this is as recent as like three weeks ago, actually. Um, I've run into people that said, Hey, do you remember when I talked to you that day? And I'm like, no, I have no, no recollection of it at all. So other than my brother's initial call, and a lot of the frantic calls to to Scott's friends and, and and family to sort of try to fill in the gaps for them. I'm sure I talked to probably 200 people and, and barely remember any of it, whether they was calling to make sure I was alive or whether I was calling someone to get information for someone else. But it was it was just a big, hazy dream. And then I think that same day, Sarah, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that day is when we had the vigil at at Park Trails that next day. Yeah. Yeah, there was one at 2.30, which I went to. Right. And then there was one that night at 6, which yeah, is I, when Jamie's dad, Fred, right. spoke and 
I wasn't at that one, but I was at the one in the afternoon. Yeah, I, I, we were there all day. I, I just remember, you know, not really knowing what was happening and sort of just being whisked away. My wife was really like the hero in terms of like making sure I was at certain places because she thought it was important for us to kind of be together. And I remember just sort of circling with with my, you know, for lack of a better word, my posse from school. And, uh, you know, and, and we were at that event and it was it, it was it was strange to to see kids because for so long as an educator, you're told to be careful, you know, hugging kids or touching kids or whatever else, you know, and, and kids were literally just like jumping in your arms and crying. And, you know, it was just a natural thing to do, but it was just, it was weird initially. I don't know how to describe it. It was just strange to see a kid that never spoke to me in class saying, I'm so happy you're alive and like literally just, just collapsing in my arms, you know? And, and, and that was, uh, that was crazy. And then, you know, for the next few days, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about some of this, you know, more, but the next few days, it was just a, you know, a, a, just a, a list of, of things to do, whether it was trying to organize something or, or really, unfortunately, um, the funerals, you know, getting that Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet there. I'm sure you remember of, of all the funeral times was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life, but it was necessary. But literally, we got spreadsheets to tell us what funeral was at what you know, hour of the day, you know, and it was just like, holy geez. And I mean, we're going to, I mean, I can speak personally. I was going to two, three, four funerals a day. I was literally, you know, going here, honey, I'll meet you here at this one. Then I got to go to this one. And yeah, it was, it was nuts. And then you, then you try to figure out, you know, the county doesn't know when to send us back to school, you know, are we canceling the rest of the year? You know, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was, it was a few weeks until you really figured out what was going on. I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was frantic. It was unbelievably sad. It was it was horrific. Um, I really don't remember having like nightmares or anything. And I, I didn't I don't think I had that much trouble sleeping because I was so exhausted at the end of every day. I think we just did so much every day to sort of protect our friends. Because, you know, at one moment I might be at a funeral where one of my friends it was his favorite student. So he was a mess. And then I'd be at another one where you know, it was Scott's funeral, so I knew everybody there because I knew his family and I knew all my camp friends. Like, that was a weird one because my, my camp family was there, then my Douglas family was there. It's almost like I didn't know where to sit. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to upset anybody. And and it was, it was it was really, and I'm sure every other person that's gone through a tragedy like this can, can state, you know, you, you just want to be there for, for each other. And that goes, that's to this day. I mean, even to this day. I mean, Sarah knows that, you know, we... we you know, there are some people that have that have healed faster than others. There are some people that still aren't fully healed. There are some people that have, you know, moments that that they just fall out, and and all you can really do is just just be there for them. And it, and you know, it, it's certain things. I don't love to use the word trigger because trigger obviously is related to, to guns, and I don't exactly love guns. But there are things that do trigger you, like you know, the last couple of years have been different on the anniversary because we really haven't been in school, especially last year. Um, so it wasn't that heart wrenching, but then this year we did a dedication at the school of of this new memorial, and I was one of the people that I did Scott's memorial, and I mean it 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 was devastating, you know. It, it almost felt like it was, you know, the first year again where you were like it just everything just kind of froze and you didn't know how to react or you know, and 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 the kids that were there, you know, the kids have graduated, all the kids that were there, so you had this whole new group group of kids, and they literally watched their teachers who were usually fun and you know just melting down in front of them and you could tell they had no idea what to do or how to react because you know there's 17 of us standing there just you know just literally all shoulder crying and 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 just helpless 
and these kids, you know, they didn't know to cry, to hug us, to, to run away. They, you, could, you could see it in their eyes that they just didn't know what to say or what to do. Whereas, obviously, the previous kids had gone through it with us, so they were sort of in the same mental state as us. And it was, it was, it was kind of sad to, I mean, obviously, it's cathartic, too, to, to be with each other. But it's, it's kind of sad to kind of put those kids through that, as weird, weird as that sounds. Because, I mean, you know, you don't want to put, bring your trauma to somebody else because trauma is no fun for for anybody, but I, I'm sure I'd, I'd love to, and I'm not going to ask them in my class, but I'd love to, to talk to a couple of those kids that I feel comfortable talking to my seniors and just say, you know, how did you feel when you saw, you know, myself or Mr. Marino or, you know, Miss whoever breaking down that day. And I, I'd just be interested to see, you know, them juxtaposed to the, to the previous kids that again, were obviously, you know, went through it with us. So, yeah, so there's my, uh, I guess my one real long explanation of what that day and subsequent days you know, we're like during uh, during that tragic, uh, you know, day four years ago, four years and a week ago, eight days ago. Man. Yeah. So we we as colleagues, as a collective group, yeah. don't really talk about where we were and what we saw and what we did. And I don't think I've ever asked you and I don't think I've ever heard oh. your story from that day. Yeah. So the one thing that I do remember, and I don't know if you remember this. So on Friday, when we were allowed to come back and get our cars. Yes. You and I got to the school at the same time. Well, did we? I didn't I didn't remember that. Yes. No. And they like had us like walking very carefully, mm -hmm. like through the front lot so that we didn't disturb anything. But I'm like, we have to walk. Like, what are we supposed to do? Right, right. And so you and I were walking together because we had both parked in the same part of campus. And I remember that you said that you felt so guilty. And I asked you why. And that's when you told me that you had gotten Scott the job yeah. at school, yeah. which I didn't know. And you got very upset and very emotional. I don't think you cried, but you, it was very raw and I, yeah. I just felt terrible for you because I, I I didn't know that that was the situation. But also, what do you say? You know, I right. told you, you right. said that you felt that it was your fault that he was there. And, yeah. you know, you felt so guilty. And I was he trying doesn't know to be me. comforting. Not, he doesn't know me. He doesn't have the job, everything. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and right. I was, and I was I, trying to be comforting and reassuring. But, like, that has stuck with me yeah. all this time. And it's, I, I you know, said that repeatedly that day at that, at, you know, that wings joint. And, uh, you know, my friends, you know, to a person were like, no, 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 no. It's just, you know, I'm just like, well, I mean, it's and you know, not that I needed to be forgiven by the family or Gwen or whatever else. But I mean, I, I've come to grips now that, you know, life's just made up of choices. And it just happened to be that he mm -hmm. was my friend. and got the job. So but it's it, it. There's no question. Initially, it's I was right there that day. That's all I felt. You know, that's that's literally yeah. all I was. Yeah. I mean, just, but it's so it's, funny how you remember certain things. And I know I've shared this on several episodes. You remember certain things, but then other things are super, super fuzzy. Yeah. But like, I remember that very clearly. Yeah. I that remember having a conversation that you and I followed, had. We followed that, uh, like the guy on the on the, the police motorcycle to get us back. It was just yeah. such a weird situation. Remember, we had to oh do this God, it was so route to the school then. They checked your ID and my wife dropped me off and I, she couldn't yeah, get out of the car. Yeah, my husband dropped me off. 
Yep. And, and we were and we were like not allowed to walk towards this. It was weird. Yeah, I'm just it was like, I just ridiculous. I, I and then I got already. my car, but then we couldn't drive a certain way right. to leave because they said right. that the roads blocked off, and that was yep. the day of Meadows' funeral, and when we had the uh, the faculty meeting in the afternoon. Right, right over at the the center or whatever else in Parkland there. Yeah. The other thing I remember yeah. a lot around around that time too is whenever we were out, obviously you were always kind of wearing your Douglas gear to like show, you know, pride mm -hmm. and, and you know, it was it almost had like a it was almost like a uniform at that point. You had to have something on for Douglas oh, yeah. just to be like I'm MSD strong or whatever else. And uh mm -hmm. I just remember feeling weird because we'd go out in groups, we'd be seven, eight deep, you know, at whatever, waiting to like that day we were waiting to go to uh back to that meeting with the superintendent and everybody else at that little Parkland library, whatever else. And we went yeah. to, uh, we went to a, a brew house to get like a burger and we had like a beer while we were waiting and like nine people in the place volunteered to like pay our check. And that happened like wow. it's, that happened like six different times, not even in Coral Springs. We were at, we were in Boca after Scott's wedding, um, at a pretty nice restaurant, a bunch of us yeah. outside. And it was, I want to say it was like a five, six hundred bill and like two people paid our check. It was really weird. You almost felt like a leper. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, we got money. We can pay for things. But people <laughs> didn't know what to People didn't know what to do, so they thought, right. you know, hey, let me pay for this, so it'll make you feel a little bit better. And, and I got it. When you don't know what to do, sometimes you just, you know, you do what is in your in your yeah. heart, I guess. But it was it was weird. I mean, it was almost to the point we we. I mean, I hate to say we joked about it, like a week and a half later, we were out, maybe you know, a month later or something. And we're like, hey, who's picking up the check today? Because I'm not paying, you know. And it's just like, <laughs> right. but no, it was it was it was crazy. And uh, had, yeah, I but. Had, uh, um, yearbook staffs from all over the country that sent us yeah. gift cards and just yeah. snacks and stuff, knowing well, that we were working through it. And it was the same thing. Like they didn't know what to do. Yes. So they sent food or they sent gift cards. And well, don't you remember? I mean, we, we ate free meals at school for who knows how long people just yes. donated food after food. And then, but it was years we were, later like, too, not just that then, school year. And like once every like two weeks would go down and they just give us like a handful of gift cards. Remember? Because yeah. so many people were sending gift cards, like here's a ten dollars Starbucks, here's a twenty dollars. Every teacher, every mm -hmm. staff member at the school would just get like a potpourri of gift cards, like because again, they didn't know what to do, so they were just sending money to the school. And obviously, the money that could be earmarked for school stuff was school stuff. What the hell are you going to do with right. the Starbucks gift card for the school? So they just said, "Oh, here you go, Mr. Foster, here's ten dollars. Go get yourself a coffee." I'm like, "Okay." Right. Yeah, it was it was weird. It was, but again, it was it's, weird, it's, but it was it was nice it was because nice. it was something it was you nice. didn't have to think about, of like. Yep. I can go get myself a cup of coffee yes. or I can yes. not worry about cooking tonight. Lunch. And I'll go yeah, that was dinner. nice. So, no, that was nice for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So ch changing gears, yes. switching gears, switching gears. Um, I don't know. So I know how beloved you are at school. And I think at this point, the world knows how much everybody loves you and loves your class. And as I said, you are going to have both of my children before you retire. Um, I see it's not occasionally. Don't, don't play the lotto. Okay, Who, David? Yeah, he's in our hallway for, he has, he has Miss Ladiac for study hall, so I see him yes, occasionally. For study hall. <laughs> well, he's yours in about a year and a half. Okay. Um, so before we get into your involvement and influence and all of that with the March for Our Lives kids who were clearly not kids anymore. I know it must have been very special for you when Emma Gonzalez, who I had as a junior, um, 
I had her before she was, you know, Emma. She was just oh. Emma in my class. Yeah. But when she stood up there and gave her what became the We Call BS speech, and she waved her her speech notes that were written on the back of your class notes. Yeah. Like, what, what was notes. that yeah. like? What was that like for you? I, I didn't see it live because by then I was teaching again. I don't think we were back in school yet, but I was teaching driver's education. That's what I do on Saturdays. And that was still open. Yeah. I didn't close because we don't have it at Douglas. I teach at a different campus. So I had actually gone to school that morning because it was a Saturday. Uh, and then I got home because we work like 730 to 5. We teach kids how to drive, which is you know pretty dangerous in itself. Um, <laughs> and, and by the time by the time we I got home that day, I had received a bunch of texts telling me about it and then I was able to Google it and see it. And I mean, obviously, even when you just said it there, I kind of got the chills thinking about it, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I was happy to just be a small part in at least um, motivating them to understand that they had the power to do what they eventually did and continue to do a lot of them. Um, you know, to, to fast forward, even, I don't know if it was a week later, uh, you know, six day, whatever it was, you know, the CNN town hall, same thing happened. And that's what sort of, I mean, Emma kind of, you know, that, that sort of opened up a lot of stuff for me in terms of, of access to people and also access to bad people as well. Because at that CNN town hall, what, what happened was I was in Tallahassee with the kids. We got in kind of late to the town hall because we drove up and drove back. I was offered to go down on the private jet with all those kids, but I had my wife's car up there with like seven students. So I'm like, I'm not letting the kid drive this car home. So I'll, I'll hopefully get there in time. So we basically, you know, flew home in my, in my wife's car. Um, and we were about 25 minutes out from it starting. We were on the sawgrass. And my, my buddy who's the Sunrise Cop is like, I'll give you a police escort if you need it. I'm like, no, I think we're okay. And when we pulled in, the place was packed. And someone from CNN started marching me up towards the front. And one of the parents was nice enough who knew me, say, you can have my seat. So I was sort of catty-cornered, like right across from all the kids um, and I saw him, you know, kind of waved at him, whatever else. And then when it started, you remember there was a lot of breaks in the show. Yeah. And especially, especially, you know, at the beginning, remember the kids didn't really get into it until probably the, the latter half of it. And so when the, when the breaks happened, I would walk up to the stage and all the kids, all my kids would come over. And we'd just talk, you know, we were just, you know, that was crazy in Tallahassee because we just got back from the legislative session up there. That was great. Great job. Blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, I'm watching Emma, you know, almost starting her where she, you know, moms were bringing their daughters up just to meet her. And, it was, and she is so gracious, Emma. So it was it was really Absolutely. cool to see, you know, her, her what her alter egos sort of start to, you know, blossom in front of me. And again, she's such a gracious kid. Um, but this happened for like three or four breaks. And it was basically like me, Emma, you know, Cam, Dave, whoever else, the, the group, you know, Delaney. I don't remember who else was up there, but I definitely, obviously, Emma was up there because she was the one. And then... What Emma did, and again, I was literally in eyesight with her the whole time. I mean, I was like, I could stare right at her. And they called on her, and she stood up, and she thanked me first. And she's mm -hmm. like, I want to thank Mr. Foster. And that, literally, I, I at the commercial after that happened, I said, thanks for ruining my life, Emma. And literally that night, I, I was getting calls from, like, press. I was getting stuff on my Twitter account, DMs from different news organizations, from crazy people. That, that thought I was trying to take their guns. I mean, it, it went from, from you know, I'm a bit player on the side. And not that I was some big influencer, but Emma Gonzalez gave my name validity. And holy shit, I'm now in, in you know, I'm in people's, I mean, I had people on 
really conservative radio station saying that I was the orchestrator of this whole thing and I'm poisoning these kids. I mean, it was everything you can imagine times 10. And to the point where um, I'm sitting, I believe it was Alex Schachter's funeral. I might have the dates wrong, but I'm pretty certain that's what it was. Um, and I don't know if this was pre-post Emma, um, but I, I got a death threat on my phone. Like literally on my text message, I'm sitting in this kid's funeral. I'll never forget. I was sitting next to two of our colleagues, Lisa Hitchcock and um, Lori Edgar. And I looked down at my phone and it was like, you know, if you don't stop doing this, we're going to come find you and kill you. And I'm just like, I forwarded it. I, I called the FBI immediately and said, here's the number. It was out of Orlando. And, but it's like, you know, I'm like, wow, how did they get my phone number? But I realized on the website, if you clicked my, you know, page, I always have my phone number at the bottom for my kids. So if they ever got in trouble, they could text me and say, hey, Mr. Foster, I'm struggling with whatever, you know, what interest groups are, can you tell me? And I would text them back or whatever else, so especially during the AP test. If they're freaking out, I'm there to answer questions. So I guess my number was on, you know, in ether for everybody. And so, yeah, it got a little, little crazy for a little bit, but, but thankfully, you know, nothing obviously ever happened. And I was never in, you know, sort of like the line of fire, like maybe David Hogg was where people were literally threatening him to his face, this poor 17 year old kid. But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, but that uh, that experience, the whole weeks after with with the whole march was uh, it was a serious ride, you know. I mean, it, it was it was nonstop. It was it was very similar. It just didn't stop till you know after the march. And then the crazy thing was, right when the march ended and we came home, because remember that was our spring break. We got yeah. back on the tw- I got back on the twenty fifth, the day after the march. So we had gone up that previous Wednesday, um, and that next whole week was our spring break and I had strep throat the next day. Like my body just gave out. Like the second everything was over, I got home and literally I couldn't swallow. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. I mean, I literally thought, and I went to the doctor, I'll never forget. And and she's like, well, let me give you, I'm like, you don't need to give me a test doctor, you just prescribe it. I 100% have strep throat. And I opened my mouth, she's like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah. Cause remember it was like 10 degrees in DC and we were running rapids. And, well, and you had you been know. so busy, like your body just yeah. shut down. No, the whole body just shut down. It definitely did. It just, it sort of, sort of similar to what happened, I guess, the night of the shooting. It just finally said, all right, enough, uncle, you know, because from the second I, I rolled into DC until the second we got home. And again, we drove up there, me and like six colleagues got a van and drove up there together. Like it was just constant, you know, 100% full bore. And then finally you got to exhale right at the end. And I'm like, God, let me just... And yeah, so I spent my whole spring break in bed with strep throat. So, but I did the up and back trip for the March. Oh, yeah. So, okay. yeah, yeah, that was that was the longest. That, it was that was 20, fun though. That was uh, that hours. was that was it, that was a good idea because, like you know, myself and a kid named Craig Pugach, who's an alumni, mm-hmm. and yeah, Emma Gonzalez and Emma, the three of us are the ones that that put all that stuff together. I mean, we. We, you know, they, they donated planes and we, we talked to them and then we met with the kids and we got everybody signed up. And what would happen was Emma would leave her class early at the end of the day, come to my classroom, she'd get in my car, we'd drive over to whether it was Heron Bay Country Club or the park, and we would meet with parents and families and say, here are the options. You can go on this Giffords trip if you qualify for four days, completely supervised, or you can get on a bus and go up that morning and come back that night, or you can go up on a plane and come back because the accommodations were going to be impossible for those 2000 people. So, you know, it, it was just, it was the right move just to do a one day or back in, and we had obviously a hell of a turnout at the event and it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I wish I yeah, had gone up earlier, of course. Um, but I had been, I was in New York the week before 
for right. a conference at Columbia University that we go to every year. Right. And think, as you know, things had been so hectic over that first month since the shooting. And I just couldn't leave my husband and kids again. They were 12 right. and nine and 12. And it just didn't seem right to like go out of town again. So that's why I did the up and back. But in hindsight, I wish I had gone, you know, either with Giffords or with another group so that I could yeah. have been more it was, involved. It was, but it was I'm glad I was there. It was it was important. Yeah. There, there was a great um, moment, Sarah. You know, I was there for, you know, obviously the four or five days. There was a moment on Friday night, the night before the march, where there was a there was a concert that was put on by we'll say like B level acts, although I think Lizzo is yeah. big now. Um, but Lizzo was there, and, and and a couple other people were there that are, that are but they've become stronger now, I guess. And uh, the coolest part was they wanted me to give like a little speech to like a small group of, of people. They said, and I was I one of my friends from DC actually met me there, so I was in the back sort of having a drink with him, and they're like, "Come on, we're doing another quick movie." So I grabbed me, and there had to be like four or five hundred alums there from Douglas. And to see wow. these 20 years of kids that I had, you know, and I recognized a, a ton of faces. Obviously, I didn't remember all their names, but just to hug them and say hello and see how they were doing, it was a cool experience. And it was a weird moment, too, because I thought to myself, like, the only other place that this could possibly happen would be if I, like, died. You know what I'm saying? Like, at my funeral, and I wouldn't see, you know what I'm saying? Like, the odds of me getting together 500 people from all, I mean, from Colorado, from California, from Connecticut, from, you know, other states yeah, that don't well, begin it with this. It becomes like a Georgia. this is your life um, moment. Yeah, it was. It was. And that, that was a really, really cool day. And then, you know, luckily I, I've stayed in touch with a lot of them because obviously social media and everything else since then. And even if it's mm -hmm. just uh, wish them happy birthday, they're always so happy just to hear from you. You know, or they get a job or they get married or they have a child. And it's like, how do you have kids? I thought well, I just had you three years ago. Yeah, they're 29 <laughs> years old. That's the you impact know? that we have as yeah, teachers. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. It, and that's, that's why we do it. It ain't the money, I can tell you that. So, well, Jeff, that's a what do you say? A powerful story. Um, as someone who spent a lot of time in education, a number of years, I wish nobody had to tell that story. But unfortunately, uh, too many people do. Um, and of course, guns are a, a tremendous issue today in society in America, and, and, and of course in schools. But uh, it was interesting. I picked up on on another issue that educators are dealing with. And that's the idea of cell phones. Um, they are ubiquitous now. Everybody has one. Um, they are a distraction. Uh, some, some people feel they have no place in schools. Yet, when an incident like this, and it doesn't have to, I mean, this is the most dramatic type of thing. But anything, anything that's out of the ordinary, a, a word that you use quite a bit, and uh, it's certainly an applicable word, uh, is weird. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not as weird as it should be, school shootings. But we have other things, too, tornadoes, you know, whatever, uh, which are you know, acts outside of our control shootings. I think we do have some control over. But this idea, and uh, you mentioned, you know, that your wife got a hold of you and, and you know, you got good information, you know, and bad. How do you feel, well, it's kind of a double-edged question, how do you feel about cell phones now uh, in terms of that incident? And did your view change, or you had always kind of supported uh, cell phones, you know, for students before? So if you could just tell us a little bit about your feelings about cell phones in today's education. 
Yeah, I've, I've never really had a major issue with cell phones. I think as, as an educator, you have to just kind of lay down the law of what you allow and what you don't allow. And I think most of my students, since, you know, they've become so prevalent, um, you know, when we're done with our work or if they're doing something and they have to, you know, take a text briefly or look up something on their phone, I, I have no problem with that. Now, if, if I'm in the middle of a discussion or we're debating something and the kid's sitting there playing on his phone, then we're going to have an issue. And I kind of, you know, we, we deal with that pretty quickly in my class and the kids are aware of sort of my rules because the biggest fear they have um, in the phones, they, they can't live without their phones. There's, there's just no question about it. I mean, I often, you know, sadly, it's almost, I almost joke with them, but it's not really a joke. If I took their phones on a Friday and didn't give it back to them on a Monday, some of these kids would be in straitjackets by Saturday afternoon. I mean, they couldn't literally survive without their phones. I mean, you could ask most children, I guarantee in my class, and these are, you know, the top kids. I have AP, you know, 17 and 18 year old kids that are all going to very good colleges um, or at least trying to get into very good colleges. And most of them, I can almost guarantee you without even having to ask them, they would give up one of their fingers before they would give up their phone. Like if I could say you could never use a cell phone for the rest of your life or you would lose like your left hand, I bet you half of them would say their left hand, which is absolutely ludicrous, but that's the case. So I think phones have a place. I mean, obviously, you know, for communication, I know that myself and I'm sure um, Sarah and, and most of the other teachers, we have a Remind app on our phones, which is, is wonderful. Your ability just to pick up your phone and send out a text to Remind and every one of your kids gets it. We use it through the school. We use it through our, for our drills in school. You know, they communicate I'm and say, you know. I'm sending out a Remind right now. What's that? I said, Somebody I'm said, actually sending out a Remind I right said now. Just one. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll do fire drills or maybe there's a real code drill in our school and our principal will immediately through the mind say, hey, guys, this is real or this is false. And uh, it's, it's you know, obviously it's great to have instant communication. There, there are, you know, detriments to, to phones in class. But again, I think it's incumbent on the teacher to, you know, set, set the rules of what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I think the majority of kids want to follow rules. I really do. And now, granted, again, I do have the best kids, but I haven't always had the best kids. You know, for the first few years when I was a younger teacher, I had, you know, quote unquote, low level kids. But if you treat them with respect and you set rules down, most people like to follow rules. At least they know if they're being, everybody's treated equally, they tend to follow those those rules. So I, I think phones are, are, are fine. I mean, um, you know, obviously I mentioned before that day, you know, just the, that's how you get information quicker than anything else now is, is through phones. The one thing I don't like about phones that much, and I'm guilty of it as well, is people tend to text over call now. Like even before Sarah can tell you, I called her twice when she said text because I'm like, I'd rather just talk to her briefly as opposed to text. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying she's wrong. I mean, I do it too, but it's just easier to, to say something than something in lost in translation. So I, I, I like the fact to, to, to still hear someone's voice over, over texting them. But I, I think it's, you know, phones are here to stay. I mean, there are obviously bad things. I, I, you know, we were talking off the air and I was talking about people in cars with phones and, you know, as, as a driver's education instructor, I'd be remiss and say that the majority of accidents in the country happen because of cell phone use. I mean, not even close. It's, it's, it trumps, excuse the pun, um, it trumps drunk driving. You know, it's not even close anymore. And, and it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you'd be driving down the road and someone would be swerving. You're like, oh, shit, that guy just came from happy hour. And now you can be rest assured when you pull up next to the person, he, he or she is literally on their phone texting on 95 and going from lane to lane. So that makes them... A dangerous part because it's just become an extension of, of someone's arm these days and you know unfortunately for the younger generation who have been brought up with it from you know age 10 on now 
they can't do anything without the phone in their hands. So whether you see the girl walking into the fountain in the mall or unfortunately whether you see someone dying from a car accident, a lot of it is attributed to, you know, their reliance on, on the cell phone. So, but, you know, in terms of, of school, I think it's fine. I think it's a great way to look up information. I try to use phones in my class sometimes um, to allow them to, to do things because they're going to use them anyway. So why not use them instead of the computers? Although we do have access to, we're lucky enough to have access to our computers in uh, our school as well. But I think phones can be, used very effectively in school and obviously as a communication device during you know chaotic situations that it's probably the the, the best thing going and, and, and in terms of you know organizing you know in terms of political stances activism it's the best i mean you know i, I was having a discussion in class today about third parties and why they struggle in this you know in this just in the last 150 years to have any traction in america and they said, Mr. Foster, do you think it'll ever not be the Democrats or Republicans? I said, well, the good news is, is, you know, my generation, your generation talking to the kids and beyond, our ability to get things done quickly and communicate and organize is so much quicker with social media and with phones now that there is a chance that if you get the right candidate and believe it or not, the candidate that we came up with in class was sort of some sort of some sort of crazy amalgamation between Donald Trump and Barack Obama. And if that person ran as like a third party candidate, mm -hmm. we could because of Trump's, you know, the fact that he was well known ahead of time. And then obviously Obama's ability to be the classic politician, that is someone that could win as a member of the American Party. I know it's a scary thought, Trump and Obama together, but it's it's going to take a character like that or a male or female to, to change things. But I, I think the ability to organize is great. And I mean, whether you're. As I said before, whether you're trying to just communicate with a big group of people to tell them something or whether you want to meet somewhere or whether you want to send a signal out, you can do things very quickly, you know, through social media. And that most of that is done through phones. And I think that is a great thing. And it makes it real easy to uh, to organize groups in a, in a big hurry and get the message out there to, you know, millions and millions of people, especially if you're dealing with someone and going back to Emma Gonzalez, who's got a million followers on Twitter. She posts one thing and I think it spread like wildfire, not to mention if you're talking about someone who's, you know, got hundreds of millions of followers like one of these celebrities so